This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, welcome to a Tuesday edition of One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, as is usually the case. And uh, plenty to get to today. We'll dive into all of it in just a second. But there is some NFL news that we want to pass along here, there, and everywhere. And it would make sense to begin with last night's game between the Jets and the Chargers on Monday Night Football. And I got to tell you, Steve, I don't know what it is, but watching how amped Jets fans were last night, only to watch their team plummet with a thundering thud uh, in terms of their offensive it was, play. Yeah, their offense, yeah, they couldn't do anything offensively. I mean, their defense is still very good. I, but. Very good. They, they Well, they did hold the Chargers, I say hold, to 27, but... Yeah, and technically I, 20. I can't believe – yeah, 20. They had a punt return. I can't believe that Zach Wilson, being as athletic and having a live arm as he does, is as bad as he is. He's just not getting any better. He has flashes where, you know, where, you know we get a, I don't know if he gets lucky or not, but sometimes he looks like he sees it. Makes a good throw, makes a good read, presto changeo, here we go. And then it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. They they ran 21 more plays on offense than the Chargers did. And they outgained them by only 80 yards. They averaged three and a half yards per play. Now, I will say, the Chargers defense surprised me last night. They, They may have played their... Their best game of the season. Well, they now part of that is because of the quarterback. The New York, playing. no, it was a lot of part of it was the New York Jets offensive line. I mean, well, it's been a mash. Unit. Oh my gosh, Joey Bosa was he was Khalil Mack. He they couldn't get enough. I mean, they were feasting. Jets were three of seventeen on third down. Three of seventeen. I'm gonna. You want me to run through the possessions here real quick? Sure. Jets three and out. Six plays, fumble. Six plays, fumble. Three and out. Three and out. Seven plays, 31 yards. Field goal. Six and out. Three and out. Nine plays, field goal. Ten plays, punt. Six and out. Three plays, fumble. Fourteen plays, down to the six-yard line. Turnover on downs. Yowzer. Yeah, they had now the yeah. now the Chargers didn't have a whole lot of success either. They punted eight times in the game. So you had eight, right. nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen punts in this game. They punted yeah, they punted six out of their first seven possessions, did the Chargers. They got, but they had the beneficiary of the punt return yeah. touchdown. That's right. So that coupled with their one touchdown drive, I mean, they're up seventeen to three at the half. Right. So so yeah, they uh they had a cushion, and with the way that Jets offense was playing, you did you not mean, think yeah. for a second that they were going to be able to overcome a 14-point deficit That's unless right. the Chargers did something stupid or turned the ball over. So, yeah. And and that play was a little controversial because he slides out of bounds with the ball, right? and then the ball goes skittering away well, from the, the guy. guy. The guy smacked it out of his hands after he was out of bounds. Yeah. Is, is way it really was. That's the way he ruled it finally. But... The pass rush of the Chargers was 
I mean, they look like, well, like who you thought they might be with Cleo Mack and Joey Bosa. Yeah. Right? I mean, they looked every bit of it. And it wasn't just those two guys. It was everybody. I mean, yeah, it was, two, it two, was all two. night, all night. And if he patted the ball once, he was on the ground. Um, I think at some point, Nathaniel Hackett, had to start, like, you, you got to start moving him around, right? Like, rolling him out. And, you know, they did try and bootleg it once or twice, but they bootleg it, and there's a guy coming right in his face. They didn't bite any of the run fakes, right? Yeah. So, it was Zach Wilson just, ugh. How many times? It was like, was it six times they got sacked? It was it up was there. It was unbelievable. Here, I'll, get, I'll pull it up real quick. Yeah, I got it. To here. get the final number. He got sacked in a, a total Two, of eight three. times. Eight sacks. Four and a half, six and a half, seven. Eight sacks there, buddy. Nine, I thought. Well, the stat line says eight. One, two, three, four. I mean, I'm looking at his individual stat Five and a half, six and a half, eight and a half. It says eight here on the stat sheet. There's there's on this GSIS. Yeah, that's what I'm on. Yeah. Bentley had two. Hicks had one. That's three. Davis... Had one. That's four. Delpit had. Wait, wait. What is this? What am I looking at here? I don't think you're looking at the right. No thing. wonder these these knuckleheads. What am I looking I at? What do you believe? I'm on the wrong. I'm on the Jets Chargers. <laughs> I'm on the Jets Chargers page, and I've got all these guys from Cleveland, New England. Who are these guys? All right, my bad. I'll Eight just, sacks. I mean, you know what? I'm just going to be quiet for a minute. Justin mm-hmm. Herbert was sacked five times in the game, and. He didn't exactly light the world on fire. He was 16 to 30 for 136 yards, but no turnovers. And they actually ran the ball effectively. That that surprised me the most. Chargers averaged 4 yards a carry against the Jets. That's a yeah. good day against that defensive yeah. front. They they I'll say this, Eckler didn't well, I didn't he didn't look effective to me, although, you know, his numbers are what they are. Made a good decision on the touchdown run though. Yes. That getting bumped, and he doesn't have the ability to bump it out and stay on his feet and get and bounce it to the outside once he made contact, and and the Jets had over pursued and over crunched to the inside and he bounced outside. But um, I it, it didn't look like when you saw the game. It didn't. I wouldn't say that the Chargers' run game was even a factor in the game, although the numbers say differently. Mm. You know. Um, I wasn't sitting there thinking, wow, they're really doing well in that because it didn't really strike me like that. So with the win by the Chargers, they even their record at 4-4. Four and four. In the meantime, they dropped the Jets to 4-4, four and four, and Buffalo actually moved up last night to the eighth seed in the playoff standings just out on the outside looking in, thanks in large part to their loss on Sunday night. So essentially they are the eighth seed closest to the playoff pool so that's where that kind of is. Jets and Chargers both two and three in the conference now. Bills are two and four. Houston, also a four and four club. They are two and two in the conference. So pretty tight. <clears throat> pretty tight. You got mm-hmm. three teams that are five and three. The Bills are five and four. And you have three more teams that are four and four. So Yes, yeah, so, yeah, obviously some of these teams were getting into the buy stuff where not everybody's played nine games yet. Right. Um. So, yeah, but the Bills climbed one notch, 
You're right. I don't, I, I've never really th- given it too much credence or thought because usually these things don't come down to that. But the the AFC, the conference record, is like the first tiebreaker, or is it common opponents the first tiebreaker? Well, it's head to head. Well, yeah, head to head. And then if you're tied with a team that is not in your division, the next tiebreaker is conference record. It is. Mm-hmm. Right. If it, if they're not in your division, correct. What if they are in your division? It's split. It's division record after that. Okay. Yeah. And then I think it's – and then if I remember right, it's conference record and then common opponents. I do not ever remember – of course, it was a different world, but I never remember think, even thinking about conference wins and losses. But I guess with seven teams in now, it's a little different. Yeah, you got to kind of keep gets, tabs on it. Yeah. You really do. So, yeah, with two teams within the same division – Head-to-head, division record, common games is third, then conference record. And then let me see here. If it's not in the division, I think I have this right. Same division for a wild card berth, apply the division tiebreakers. Two clubs, if they're not in the same division, head-to-head, conference record, common games, Strength of victory, strength of schedule. So it is different between, you know, division teams tied and conference teams tied. Yeah. So just that's why that's why that conference record's important. So Yeah, the Bills gotta get on. I, and I think this too, you gotta if you've gotta as a as a fan of the Bills, if you're thinking they're if you're thinking about that stuff, you gotta think and know how important it is to beat the Dolphins again, beat the Patriots, split with them, you and run beat the, the table Jets. In the you got to you got to run the table in the division. That gives you three wins uh, and, and a three four conference, and, two in the division. and it gives you right. It's enormous. It's an enormous boost. Those that's, are the key games. Those are huge. That's why I said yesterday, the best path to the playoffs right now for the Bills is the division. Win the division, yeah. I mean, oh, absolutely, because you already have the the head to head tiebreaker on Miami. Right, and you you're only a game back. You have a chance to make up that ground because yeah. not only do you have enough conference games left, you have three division games left, including one against Miami to do the season yeah. sweep. Hopefully, as of, that's going to be down there. And unbelievably, as of today, the New England Patriots are your 16th seed in the AFC. Yeah, basement. They're the basement. Yeah, yeah. They're they're. I think they're cooked. Um, oh, absolutely. Which makes the loss to makes the loss to them all the more galling. Um, yeah, but it happens sometimes for whatever reason. And you want me to put my finger on it? No way, Jose. I, I just defies logic sometimes. But that's exactly what the league wants. So there you go. I did see that Dalton Kincaid is up for. Uh, rookie of the week honors in the NFL. Unfortunately, I don't think he's got a snowball's chance in you know where to get it because he's up <laughs> among the other candidates is C.J. Stroud, who just threw right. for 470 yards and, and five touchdowns. touchdowns. Yeah, that's... So as great a day as Dalton Kincaid had. And Stroud had Stroud's Stroud, team won. Yeah, and Stroud did it in a victory. So I would anticipate he is going to get that honor this week. But nice to see uh, Kincaid in the mix after his 10-catch performance last week. And if you think about it, the guy's got 20 – he's got 40 receptions on the year, Steve. 23 in the last three weeks. 
Think about that. More than half of his catches on the season have come in the last three weeks. We're finally seeing him as the bona fide number two option in the pass game right now. So that, to me, is an encouraging sign, you know, coming down the backside of the schedule. Um, And I hope that Josh Allen continues to utilize him as that easy button answer. We've also seen Khalil Shakir's um, target share go up as well. And we're watching the play where Cameron Taylor Britt just blatantly tripped him and there was no flag. Think about it. The all-time receiving record for a rookie tight end in NFL history is 81. Ooh. And he's got 40. Keith Jackson. And he's got 40 with eight games to play. That's right. And now he's probably not going to get there with the yardage. Uh, Mike Ditka has the yardage record. Uh, of 1,076 as a rookie tight end. In wow, and that's in 14 games. In 14 games, yes. Jeez. He had an average of 19.2 per catch. What? Yeah. Who the heck was playing defense? Nobody. He was playing. <laughs> 19 yeah. yards of reception for a tight end? Yeah. yeah Holy mackerel. 80, he had 56. He did it on 56 receptions. I knew he had 56 he had. catches for 1,000 yards. Wow. He must have been bowling people over, man. Or a lot people of run didn't after know. catch. Wow. You know? That's just nuts. I knew he had the rookie record for reception. Receptions? No. Yards. Yards. Yeah, yeah Keith Jackson's got receptions. I just didn't know he averaged 19 <laughs> yards a catch. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That is remarkable. Nobody yeah. was playing defense. I, that's nobody was playing. Yeah, nobody. Nineteen sixty-one. They only had nine defenders. Right. They yeah, nine on defense, eleven on offense. Go get your left. Your starting left tackle in nineteen sixty-one. Your starting left tackle weighed two hundred and thirty-eight pounds too. So that is, I am stunned by that figure, as you can obviously tell. Stunned. That oof. yeah, I don't fifty-six for one thousand seventy-six yards. That is crazy. He averaged 70, 77 yards a game receiving. Mm. Yeah. All and right. then, of course, and then just in 2021, two years ago, Kyle Pitts set the rookie record, almost broke that rookie record with 1,026 yards on 68 carries. Uh, 68 catches, I'm sorry. So, yeah, that's – so you think about it, your boy, Kincaid, got a shot at it. I think he'll have a look at the receptions, yeah. At oh, the receptions, that's what I'm talking about, yeah. Uh, I don't yeah. think he's going to get to the yards, but, yeah, the reception, he could make a run at that. Mm-hmm. I think he could. And 23 catches the last three weeks. He keeps up that pace. Well, I he, mean, that's like an average of almost eight catches a week. So yeah, you've got but, eight games left. That's another 64 receptions. Well, he hardly – he never drops a ball. That's first, 104 catches. The first catch he had a chance to make in the Cincy game, he dropped because Josh – I don't know, Josh coming out of the gate – Throws the thing literally at 200 miles an hour. Nobody's catching it. In fact, nobody wants to step in front of it. So it goes, hits the ground. That's the only incompletion Kincaid had all night. And, you know, way they went. It was, yeah, Kincaid's got a shot at it. And he's up for rookie of the, rookie of the week. Yeah. Rookie, yeah. So happy for him. Uh, I saw this. You know, Mike Tomlin's got all these great quotes 
all the time. Right. We want volunteers, not hostages. Mm-hmm. When he talks about his roster and mm-hmm. he's got all these different ones. Uh, I actually read a bunch of them to my wife one time. She goes, Ooh, I like that one. Like, ooh, like, like he makes you think with some of his he's a, he's one-liners. A dude, man, yeah, I, I got a lot. So of, yeah. his latest one, Steve, so I don't know if you saw this, but after last week, Steelers beat the Titans on Thursday night football, 20-16, to 16, but second-year receiver George Pickens was not happy after the game, I, I think because he wasn't wholly involved in the offensive performance as much as I guess he was expecting to be. So by the next day... He is scrubbing any references to his Instagram page to the Steelers off of his Instagram page. So, so now, he's an you know, unhappy camp. So now the media is like, "Oh, what, what, what's going to happen?" You know. <laughs> so naturally, Tomlin gets asked about this, and he says, "Guys, this situation is a pebble in my shoe." Is basically how he characterized it. And then he said, "It's like reality television. The way you guys follow social media and write stories about it." So he was dismissing it, you know, downplaying it. But this is this is where this is the unfortunate job that reporters have now. They have to follow social right. media accounts of these players to 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 basically take a temperature check of where things sit sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's and here's the thing. It's it's your job to cover this team, as all these reporters are, as and they all do. And every team's got a, a raft of people that come in, and they're they're locals. You know, they're regulars. It's like you know the bar cheers, and everybody knows. Hey, hey. <laughs> everybody walks in the room. Everybody, you know, everybody right. on first name basis. All the they're all working for different media outlets, and every player in the locker room is a media outlet. They all have Twitter accounts. They all have Facebooks. They all have the yeah. other stuff. They have all the social media stuff. And some of them have professionals who help them with it. So you got to pay attention to it if you're a reporter. And, but the simple fact of the matter is, man, when, re, when the rubber meets the road, <laughs> I don't care. If you got something to say, come say it. You, you know. You think they're going to negotiate this through Twitter? If you if you're unhappy, man, you got to go in and talk to the guy. Right. That's the way it's always been, and that that's never going to change. Not in my lifetime. Yeah, I'm not going to say never. The but thing about not in it, my lifetime. I, I'm I'm guessing the only reason you do that is you're trying to win what public support for your position. I I don't know what you're doing. Yeah, it's. I don't get that. Just be direct. Yeah, I, I think it's a. It comes across as immature to me, right? Buffalo's next opponent, the Denver Broncos. Steve, we know that they're uh, practically printing money over there with the Penner Group and the Walmart fortune being the owners. Yeah, I saw this. They're this uh, is, they're building a new facility and team headquarters. Well, they're just adding on to it right where it's at. But yes, and they were going to renovate mm-hmm. the facility. But now they are building a new state-of-the-art facility and team headquarters. So it's in the same location, and they were just going to do, like, add-ons and stuff. But then they're like, you know what? Let's, let's go big here. 250,000 square feet. Yeah. I mean, that's like a... It's quite the joint. Yeah. I mean, that's like a Schmamazon yeah, warehouse. Out, yeah, yeah. And it's, this is out... Um, <clears throat> if you've ever been to Denver... It's right at the cusp of the front range, and then 
you go east of Denver and it's high flat. It's like that's where they put the airport, right? Yep. And, and actually, in western Which is Kansas, a hike it's in the, western Kansas is where the airport is. It's, it's like a, a three-hour drive. Yeah, it's a hike. From they have downtown. now have a train that goes from downtown out there. But oh, they a, do. Yeah, but it's a it takes forever. Yeah. Right. And now they're pulling the city out that direction, but that's where their facility is, a little south of there. And it's in these, and there's nothing but space out there. It's nothing but space, and they've already got a, you know, it's a nice modern facility. It's yeah. not, it's not nothing. But this thing there, you've all seen the videos of the the star in Dallas. It's kind of looking like that. I mean, it's it's got lots going on the in the new- drawings. Three full fields plus a full indoor barn, just like the field house here in Buffalo. Yeah. Um, all of it. Two hundred five thousand foot training facility is going to be thirty percent larger than the one they already have. <laughs> I'll say this, and it's all cool, it's all good, and and you know the they'll use it. The players will make good use of it, and it'll help the guy, and it'll help their team. It'll, it'll facilitate a, It's a good free agent thing. It's just like recruiting, and I get all of that. Um, but the thing about it is, and, and this is what they they've proven here in Buffalo. When Mc, with McDermott and Bean and, and with the Pagulas. Yeah, the facilities are all nice. All these, all these teams have unbelievable facilities. It's true. You know what makes a difference is the people inside it. They, it is fully, fully staffed. So what you have is guys like guys that used to do what I did, cover kicks, right? I mean, just the last guys on the roster. Mm. They can get – it used to be only the guys that were making seven figures or, or, and up could afford you know, a masseuse. Or could afford a hyperbaric chamber, or could afford to get a massage even once a week. You know what I mean? Um, or nobody had cryo chambers. Nobody had all of that stuff. Now, the entire roster, because of the team and their staff, they've got access to all that stuff, and they recover faster. Which means they recover faster. They get back on the practice field faster and more effective, and they prepare better. And you win more games. Yeah, it's that simple. And it sounds kind of convoluted, but it really makes a difference. I I know this, and I noticed this and said this in the in the 2020 season. We got a, our first full dose of it after they they built the place. You know, it was that they weren't just worried now, and we've all been there. We've seen it, particularly when in my era. You're gosh, I hope he can go, and we even see it now today. Gosh, he's a game day decision. Is he going to get better? Is he going to be ready to play on the game now? Some of these guys that were going to be game day decisions are now on the back on the field getting ready to play again faster mm-hmm. and earlier in the week because of the masseuse, because of the cryo chamber, because of the hyperbaric chamber, um, all of that stuff. They're back on the field practicing quicker and therefore better ready to play better on Sunday. They're just getting healed up and just making it to the finish line on Sunday so they can get out on the field and go with no reps. Mm-hmm. Now they're getting on the field and they're and, and also staying healthier once they're there. Um, really makes a difference. So and you know it's been a long time coming for the owners. You know it's it costs a lot of money to do it, but oh, now yeah. the league is now the that eight hundred pound gorilla, and now it makes it makes more sense to do it for a lot of a lot of franchises. Our final note from around the NFL, Aaron Rodgers was overheard on camera telling Derwin James after the Chargers-Jets game, Derwin James asked him, hey, when are you coming back? And he said, give me a few weeks. Now, he was out taking three-step drops and throwing footballs in pregame warm-ups. I mean, show me a guy who doesn't know it's nationally televised game and not taking advantage of it, and it's Aaron Rodgers. Um, You know, needs to be seen needs to be discussed, needs to be talked about. So he says, give me a few weeks. So that 
even if that's accurate, it wouldn't get him back in time for Buffalo's game against the Jets two weeks from now. He ain't coming back in two. No. I, I don't think so either. He's not coming back this season. He's, I think he's trying to speak it into existence he, here. Now, yeah. he, did do, he did do the surgery that's supposed to... Yeah, a new technique. Get him back faster. Sure, sure. But here's the thing. They got to stay in it. Well, right. I just wonder... I mean, you would like to think that that medical staff does not listen to Aaron and goes by their medical expertise... You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure they will. I mean, they're not, you know, I mean, they've, we've watched, uh, you know, other teams like the Dolphins throw their quarterback back out there with half a concussion, you know, I mean, other teams will do it. And, and, but, you know, right now the Jets sitting there at four and four, they got the Raiders, the Bills, the Dolphins and the Falcons. They go two and two, go six and six. And they're, and they're like where the Bills are. Um, They lose the Bills lose the Dolphins, and they beat the Falcons and the Raiders. Yeah, they're still in trouble, though, because they're looking up at the rest of the division then if they lose those two division games. Right. They got to hope It's going to be a tough road to hoe. Yeah. They got, I mean, they got to stay at least around 500, yeah. and they got to hope to get to, get to, you know, get to 10 and, or 10 and, se- 10 and 7. Yeah. Or 9 and 8. 9 and 8. 9 and 8 ain't going to do it. Not in the conference. So that is Around the NFL, presented by Collider Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. Going to go to the phones here quickly before we get to the break. And we lead off with Ken in Buffalo. What do you got for us, Ken? Hey, I just got a couple of things for you guys. Sure. Um, the first thing, question is, why are the Bills not using Hardy at wide receiver? And why aren't the Bills using Sherfield at wide receiver? The thing that gets to me, I'm just going to be quick, is – it seems to me, as a 40-year-old um, Bills fan, um, that, you know, um, Diggs is running our offense. It would be, like, if we use him, uh, those guys, Diggs gets upset. And that's one thing that I want to talk about. And the other thing that I want to talk about is the special teams. Our special teams already lost us one game this year. Steve Tasker was the best. He was an animal out there back in the day. And that's all I have to say, and I'll listen to you guys. Go ahead. All right. Thanks, Ken. Uh, yeah, I've been, I've been pounding the table to see more of Trent Shurfield the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, if you're sputtering on offense and you have options, I'd like to see a little more of him. Like, it's like I explained two weeks ago. This guy was good enough to be the number three receiver in the Miami offense behind two guys named Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. There's got to be something to offer there. I'd like to see more of it. He's getting like one or two targets a game and probably about 15 to 16 snaps. Uh, I'm interested. Show me more. So where we got to line them up and whoever's playing time's got to get eaten into, I'd like to see it. Yeah, and I would would wholeheartedly disagree with the premise that Steph Diggs would be upset if somebody else contributed the offense. Um yeah, I I think he's largely misunderstood. Yeah, I think he's largely misunderstood, and I and I think if it means the team's going to win a game, Steph Diggs would sit the game down uh, if it meant meant if it meant the team would win. Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, they're going to be better with him on the field, but you you get my point. Steph Diggs is in no way, shape, or form a selfish player. No way, shape, or form. He he has a 
the desire to contribute, just like every other player. So I, I don't, I don't buy that either. I think most every guy in there would love it if everybody could eat, because when you win games, that lifts everybody. Yeah, and you know, Steph Diggs ain't going to go anywhere. He's he's contributing to this offense as much as they need him to. And if somebody else has an opportunity to contribute, he's going to be all about it. So I'm I don't agree with that at all. And you're right, Hardy and Sherfield have something to offer. Um, and you know, it's we go through this cycle. It seems like with with Gabe Davis, where you know he he just goes somewhere and well doesn't contribute and two for weeks, some reason. Two weeks ago, he's nine catches. You know, and a touchdown, the game-winning touchdown, by the way. And then last week, Zippo, like literally nothing. Right. Two, Not two a tar, single reception. Two tar, and he had no shot at catching either one of those balls, despite the face mask thing that, you know, the pass interference. The, he turned up on one on the, on, the, on, the, on the intentional grounding call. I, I can't believe it. I, I can't believe that call. And then the one on the face mask, I don't think he was going to catch that ball anyway. And maybe that's why they didn't catch him. Maybe it was uncatchable. But I'm. Uh, but those are the only two chances he had. Yeah. And special teams needs to find their consistency as well. You know, Sam Martin comes off a, a marvelous performance on Thursday night against Tampa. Three downed inside the ten, two of which were downed inside the five on punts. He effectively flips the field against Tampa Bay, and then he comes out against Cincinnati, and he just can't flat out do it. He has two substandard punts by his standards I think he would admit to that and they could not flip the field against an offense that is challenging to stop I mean you needed him to flip the field more against Cincinnati than you did against Tampa and he could not do it and it played into the struggles that this team had to get an advantage in the field position game and I know people don't maybe pay as much attention to that as they should but it's an important phase of the game and, you know, I'm preaching to the choir over here to my left, but, yeah, it, they have to find better consistency week to week to help this team right now, knowing how shorthanded their defense is. Uh, we are up against the break, so we have to take one here when we come back. Going to be joined by my broadcast partner on the Bills Radio Network, Eric Wood, to dice up Cincinnati and maybe to get started and ready for Denver coming up a week from tonight on Monday Night Football here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All right, back here on One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker on a Tuesday. And uh, we bring in now Bills Radio Color Analyst, former Bills Center Eric Wood, uh, to kind of just put a post-mortem on Sunday Night Football and maybe look ahead uh, and try to find some answers for, you know, an offense that still is experiencing lulls in play through the course of games. And, and Eric, we've watched this and witnessed this for the better part of the last month or so now where there's about a quarter and a half of the football game where the offense just disappears. And with a defense currently in an injury-riddled state, you, you really need the offense to – to do more of that to put this team in position to win football games. Yeah, you're exactly right. Right now they're just way too inconsistent on offense, way too many three and outs. Through four weeks of the season, the Bills had the least amount of three and outs in the league. And as of late, they're just there's way too many 
turnovers, three and outs, and these situations that they're experiencing on offense where they're putting way too much stress on the defense when it should be the offense that's taking the stress off the defense if they're going to play as they say, complimentary football and win football games. And that's why you see them with a five and four record now on the outside of the playoff picture is uh, a majority of it is the inconsistency on offense. And then this defense has really fought. I mean, just really fought uh, uh, with all these injuries that they've had to deal with. And they hold the Bengals to, to 24 points in this game. And to me, you know, this offense moving forward has to be more aggressive and and take that mentality like they had at the start of the game more consistently through the rest of the game, which includes up-tempo offense, which includes some scripted plays and complementary concepts that put stress on the defense and not as much reacting to what the defense is giving you. Do you get a sense that because of the defensive injury, I mean, we were talking about it yesterday, there's like six guys who were not – who were – playing on the defense that weren't even on that weren't starting at the beginning of the year so like half the defense is is on the sidelines um do you get a sense that maybe as a philosophy the teams are saying listen we're going to play a little conservative offensively protect our defense a little bit uh the defense is is not you're like you said they're battling but the only problem the defense i thought in the cincinnati game was they couldn't get those guys off the field um right they they held like you said 27 points or 24 points and in the first half, the time of possession was 21 to 9 in favor of the Bengals. So the Bills, yeah, might have moved the football, but they didn't, you know, didn't stay on the field long enough, and the defense couldn't get the Bengals off. So do you think as a staff, McDermott and these guys are saying, listen, let's we gotta kind of play this game. We don't want to have our defense defend, you know, against a team that, you know, from a from a hole. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I know exactly what you're saying. And if you look back at these last maybe four or five games since those injuries really hit in London, it's amazing that the possessions per game have gone down. And on a consistent basis, they're kind of in that eight to nine, maybe 10 possessions of the game, when generally over the past few years, we've seen 10 to 12 possessions from the Bills. I think some of that comes with exactly what you're saying, and that's protecting the defense. Do you want to run up-tempo offense uh, from a backed-up situation, which we heard from Sean McDermott and Ken Dorsey yesterday? Some of the situations didn't allow them to stay in an up-tempo mode as much, and I think part of that's protecting a defense, which can be smart at times, especially as you fall down 7 nothing, 14-7. to You can't have a quick three and out, put extra stress on this defense that's already light in numbers and got banged up again on Sunday. And so, you know, moving forward, I just feel like if this team's going to be successful, if this team's going to reach the playoffs and make a run at a Super Bowl, they're going to have to be more aggressive on offense and say, look, we may give up some points and, and we may put some extra stress on our defense, but on second and one, sometimes even third and one from plus territory, we got to take some shots because we need to build a lead and we can't allow teams to be two-dimensional for an entire game against us defensively. I don't care if you have injuries or not. That's just a tough situation to be in defensively. Yeah, it does. It, it's, it makes a lot of sense. You can see the logic in saying, listen, we'll run the no huddle, but we ain't going to do it inside our own 25-yard line. You know what I'm saying? I, we, the the double-edged sword obviously is coming off the field or turning it over because you're going not, – not because you're going fast or turning it over at all. But uh, making sure you're in the right play. But, you know, when you get on the plus side of it, then maybe shift gears and go no huddle. I and mean, it's easy to see the logic in that. 
Yeah. And so in those situations, when you're not going to be in the no huddle, that's when I want to see the dictating plays to a defense, whether it's, and I know Dawson Knox is out, but whether it's getting heavier personnel and making them adjust to that, whether that's putting four guys, four receivers on one side of the formation to just put the defense in stressful situations and steal a few first downs, steal a first down with just scripting a guy open and save those plays for those moments. And then once you get that first first down, once you get you know somewhere around midfield, then hit the up-tempo offense because the more they can be in that up-tempo offense, we saw it from the start of the game last week, the more successful this offense is right now. And look, every season, every situation is different right now. At this point of the season, through nine games, that's where they need to try to get to. So if you're not comfortable running it, you know, backed up, which I completely understand. You're not comfortable running it after a long scoring drive by the other team because your defense needs a touch more rest. Okay, that's when you have your scripted plays, those those go-tos where, okay, we saved this one. This gets us that first down to get maybe to the 35, the 40. Okay, now we're back in the no-huddle offense where we're dictating to the defense then. All right, so let's look at that injury-riddled defense. Terrell Bernard in concussion protocol. Tyrell Dotson finishes the game as the Mike linebacker last week against the Bengals. Christian Benford tweaks his hamstring. It's a wait and see on him, as it is for Micah Hyde, who left last week's game with a stinger. Looks like Dane Jackson's going to be okay, according to Coach McDermott. So knowing knowing you have Rasul Douglas, uh, Josh Norman is probably a consideration, as well as Jamarcus Ingram on the practice squad. You're getting precariously thin here. Um, how do you how do you game plan that when you know you're down to essentially what is corners five and six? Yeah, so we've seen more uh, pressures, more blitzes given by Sean McDermott. Try and rush that quarterback in the pocket, try and cause some chaos on their side of the line of scrimmage to make it easier on that secondary. There's been some run blitzes to help out those linebackers at times uh, with with Milano, obviously, uh, out, and he's on IR, and then uh, Bernard leaving the game last week. So you have some more run blitzes, but even then, then you leave yourself susceptible, especially against good quarterbacks, to easier throws, which we saw at times against the Bengals. And Chris, we talked about it in the pregame, and we talked about it early in the game. If the Bills were going to come out with a win in Cincinnati, both lines of scrimmage were going to have to win the game. It was going to have to be the offensive line and the defensive line. Look, and this this isn't just because I'm a former offensive lineman, and and I I love the big boys up front, and I love that trench game. It's because uh, against, you know, when you're playing another elite quarterback, Josh Allen elite quarterback, Joe, Joe Burrow elite quarterback, if you give them time, there's going to be plays made out there. But if you're not able to affect them in the pocket, both of them are just going to torch you. And I didn't feel like consistently enough, especially with the injuries on the second and third level of defense, that the defensive line get home. Now, I thought the pass rush was better than it was at the start of the Monday night game last year in January against Cincinnati and better in the playoff game, but just not consistently enough affecting them in the pocket where you force Joe Burrow into a rushed mistake. And we're seeing that on the back end of the defense where – Yes, the interceptions aren't there, and some of that is the play of the secondary, but a lot of what causes interceptions is the defensive line. The defensive line forcing a quarterback to rush a throw. It's the hits they give them early in a game that now this quarterback's internal alarm clock is going off just a little bit quicker, 
And so we're not seeing those. And then I feel like offensively, when you look at the offensive line, there was times where Josh had all day to throw out there. And when he did, they made him pay. And then there was other times where it wasn't like guys were just getting smoked up front. It's just that pocket was collapsing way too fast to where Josh is having to make a, a quick throw um, when when he didn't really want to or trying to escape the pocket way too soon. What do you think is the next step for the offense? I think the next step is finding plays where you make it easy on Josh, not put so much stress on him, play in and play out to read the defense, find the open throw, make the correct read, go through your possession, your progressions. Some of that's going to happen naturally, and I understand that. But just finding more easy throws for Josh. And I love the way they started the game. And for those watching at home, we're seeing the early screen pass that was thrown to Diggs where he breaks a few tackles and gets up the field for, I believe, a 32-yard gain. Well, earlier in that drive, they put Diggs on the same motion and they hit Kincaid in the flat on the opposite side. And so you're putting stress on the defense formationally with motions and you're dictating to the defense in those modes and not as much reaction post-snap, trying to read it pre-snap. I think getting a run game going would would help. But the strength of this offense is its quarterback and his ability to throw the football and you, the, the receivers that you have on the outside, including Dalton Kincaid. And so, yes, getting a run game and, and having the threat more of a run. I mean, we see James Cook at six rushes for 20 yards in that game. There wasn't a design run for Josh Allen until the second half of the game. And so... To me, it's finding ways to dictate to the defense, and I think the ways you do that is the up-tempo offense at times. I think there's scripted plays at times that can, similar to the screen pass to Diggs and the short pass to Kincaid off the same motion, mirrored sets, I think that's a great way to dictate to the defense. And then also, it's personnel-wise. It's formationally just just dictating, make them shift and not always the Bills offense reacting. I just feel like at times it's so hard for them to just consistently react to the defense playing and play out. Eric, thanks as always. We'll catch up with you next week. Sounds good. I hope uh, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing Dan Orlowski break down that as well. I wish I would have went after him. So, uh, <laughs> Well, I feel like that would have that made, made my job a little bit easier. Uh, you can always re-rack the show on buffalobills.com or on the Bills YouTube page, so there's your option. Uh, thanks again, Eric. We appreciate it. Got to take a break here, but we're going to get back to your phone calls when we return. Billy in Rochester, Don in Rochester, Patrick in Rochester. It's a Rochester trifecta when we return here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. Bills tickets, check. Face paint, check. Your favorite apple with the epic crunch, Snapdragon apples. Available now at Wegmans and other local retailers. Fuel your day with Snapdragon apples, the official apple of your Buffalo Bills. Got to get right to the phones here quickly in this short segment, and we go to Billy in Rochester. What do you got for us, Billy? Hey, how are you doing, gentlemen? Good. Doing great. Excellent. I got a couple observations, and one of the major things is is I'm looking at this year when they go to the sidelines. If I I kind of rewind a couple years ago when Dayball was you know in there as a coordinator, you always when he always looked over at the bench, um, you know when the defense was on the field, you always saw his name was the wide receiver coach. What it was a Chad Hall. Yeah. 
you always saw him with a pad talking with Josh Allen and whatnot. And just an observation this year, you often see Josh sitting there alone. Maybe we're cut off and maybe we don't see what's happening. But I always saw a lot of that going on a couple of years ago, which I don't see this year. That's just an observation. Yeah, I mean, I, I see Joe Brady frequently sitting down with Josh or rehashing the previous series with him with great regularity. Um, I mean, I see it just about every week. And I think Joe is a guy that is not the kind of coach that's just going to prattle on and on and on and on. Josh is a six-year veteran. You give him your coaching points. You hand him the iPad and say, if you have any questions, let me know, and you move on. And that's kind of how Joe treats Josh at this point in his career. Yeah, say two or three years ago, uh, Josh was a vastly different player. And And it was Ken Dorsey talking to him back then. Yeah, and Dayball was upstairs um, for the, the end of it. In the beginning, I think Dorsey was downstairs, and then he moved upstairs once Josh got a handle on things, and you know, and Josh progressed. So, and I and I'll say this, particularly when you're watching the game on TV, I would be real. I would really caution you to make any uh, summarizations about relationships or how things are going by a TV shot on the sideline. Yeah, you're restri- You have restricted um, access to the television. Yeah, you're looking at a you're looking at a sunset through a keyhole, and. Um, that's you know it's no way to make an assumption about uh, anything. So I get it. Uh, we all kind of look for stuff and try and figure stuff out by what we see. But uh, watching the game on TV and talking about stuff that's going on on the sidelines is is it's really hard to do. Yeah. It's hard to do. Sometimes you can do it, and sometimes you get it right. But usually you just don't have enough information because so much goes on on the sidelines that nobody ever sees or notices because of what's going on in the field. It's really hard to get a sense of of the entire team or the scope of things from just a two-second camera shot on a TV broadcast. Let's go to Don in Rochester next. What do you got, Don? Hi, guys. Um, Question comes up, and I know it's been hashed over time and again, the run game or the lack of. You know, this has been a problem for four or five years. Um, Eric Woods would have been good to get his two cents. Is it the personnel? Is it the uh, coaching? I mean, the coach has a great reputation, or or is it the game planning? I mean, we let we let um, Zach Moss go, and he's second in the league in rushing right now. So there, there's there's uh, I, I mean, I can't believe Indianapolis their O line's that much better than our O line. Yeah, where, um, where do you think the problem lies? Yeah, I mean, I think it it's a byproduct of a few things, Don. It could be all of the above. Um, that's part one. Part two is a team like the Indianapolis Colts, who are going the rest of the way with their backup quarterback, Gardner Minshew, are going to have a greater propensity to run the football to better support a limited quarterback. Um, teams like the Bengals or the Bills or you know others with elite quarterbacks don't have to lean on a run game to prop up the quarterback. Um, that's not to say that the Bills shouldn't run the ball or shouldn't try to run the ball. And I will say, last week, the offensive line had trouble resetting the line of scrimmage. That's a good defensive front that Cincinnati has, a very physical group across the board, end-to-end. I mean, you got defensive ends on that front that are 265 and 275. That's not common in this league anymore. Uh, Usually they go 255, 250. They got heavy guys with heavy hands on that defensive front. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't be able to move those guys 
or scheme up a run game that's going to be effective. But it was a problem this past week. I don't think there's any question about it, but after they fell behind on the scoreboard 21-7, to you also weren't going to run it a whole lot either. Yeah, that's true. So the circumstances of the game also dictated the play selection as well. Um, I don't want to overgeneralize. Uh, you're right. If, if a team could run the ball at will, they'd never do anything else. Because you never turn it over, it, you rarely. It's easy not to. It's easier not to fumble the ball than it is to th- not to throw interceptions. Uh, it's a throwing league, and offensive linemen will always tell you if you want to get good at running the ball, you got to run the ball because it's hard, and particularly in today's NFL, you don't have live practices, you don't have tackling, you don't do all that stuff, so you don't get good at it unless you do it a lot. Yeah, and when you do it in a game is when you really get good at it. Well. You don't want to run the football and lose games just to get good at running the ball. Um, that's what you're basically t- at talking about. You, you run the ball in the NFL today to either make a defense pay for overcommitting to the pass by going a light box um, or because you're trying to run the clock out. Basically, that's it. Yeah. I so mean, The reason Indy's good at running the football mm-hmm. is because they're 28th in passing. They can't pass the ball, so they have to run it. And they run it pretty effectively. They're 10th in the league in rushing. They do a good job with it. So they're doing what they do best because they can't throw the ball. They're, that's what they do best, and they're still 10th in the league. I mean, they're not 4th or 3rd or 2nd or 1st in the league. And I know Moss is having a good year, and he's, he brings something to the – he's a good running back. But, you know, how many, I don't know how many catch, balls he's catching, but um, there's a reason he's not on the Bills. Break time for us here. Hour number two begins with our weekly visit with ESPN NFL analyst Dan Orlovsky. We'll have him break down the Sunday night game, what happened there, and what to do about the offense going forward. Coming up next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Presented by Kaleida Health. All right, back here for hour number two on a Tuesday, and time to bring in ESPN NFL analyst Dan Orlovsky, whose segment every week is brought to you by Ellicott Hotels. Fans, round up your family, friends, and coworkers for a fantastic game day experience at 500 Pearl. Reserve your pack and book your group event today at 500PearlBuffalo.com. All right, Dan, uh, we've got an offense here that you know, is still experiencing lulls in the course of games. They're essentially playing a good quarter and a half of football on average each of the last five weeks. And with an injury-riddled defense, I think a lot of people were yeah. hoping the offense would be able to carry more of the burden. They have not, for whatever reason. We heard Brandon Bean last week say the, t- the offense is still searching for its identity. If you had to put your description on the offense and a potential identity right now, what would you say it is based on your observations, if there is one? 
I, I really don't think they have a schematic identity. I think they have a philosophical identity, and that seems to be, like, in my opinion, reactive in, instead of proactive. Um, I think it's also like fair to say this was a really good game uh, on the road versus a team that's playing really good football. And I think, you know, when you play one of those teams that's so good defensively, the game – you know, if Josh's interception, just a poor decision, just a poor decision, forced throw. It's there's nothing that is so X and O in depth about it. It's cover two. He tries to force the whole shot, just a forced poor decision. But it happens backed up in their own area, right? So you're 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 like gifting the other team points. Dalton's fumble, it, great play by the D. It happens going into the red zone. So you're taking points off. So in a one score game. You're sitting there, gosh, those those two plays stand out a lot. I, I think that, you know, when you when you watch and you go, okay, the no huddle worked a little bit. They didn't do it um, as much as maybe I, I kind of thought they should have. Um, and I think, like, one of my notes is as I watched that game, two notes that stood out to me were it felt like they were in gun two by two a lot. Just in the shotgun, two, two guys on my right, two guys on my left. And – you know, we, you guys have heard me say this, right? Like, this is why I say the identity is a little bit re reactive. So we know teams want to play Josh a certain way. Patrick Mahomes a certain way. Joe Burrow a little bit. But they want to play these guys a certain way. Those two safeties, Shell, they, they're forcing you to play to the way that they want you to play. And my, like, my, my gripe a little bit with Buffalo's offense, I don't think the world's ending, but Buffalo's offense is – it's almost they oblige to that too much. Like, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll play the way you want us to play. And it's almost you have like you got to be in the mindset of like, no, 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 no. We're going to do things so you as a defense don't get to play the way that you want to play. All right. But, with you know, it can't always be like, all right, we'll play to the style that you want us to and this and that and never do things to a defense to force the defense to then go, well, we can't play this style anymore. We have to adjust. All right, so so let's take that a step further. We know that Dawson Knox is still on IR. 12 personnel is kind of compromised as a personnel grouping right now. How do you flip that script and dictate? Yeah, I think a little bit of the no huddle helps, you know, uh, because I think Josh is smart enough to live at the line of scrimmage and get themselves out of bad plays and into really good ones. I think a little bit more variance in their run game, you know, when it comes to a variety of run action, I think a little bit more of the RPO stuff. That's just not two by two RPO. You remember last week, I told you guys, like you guys saw it too. They ran like six different plays, right? You know, it, it wasn't like the schematic masterpiece. And, and like, here, here's the thing. When you're playing teams that defensively want to sit in those two high shells, there's really two ways to get them out of it. You have to be very um, disciplined and hard-headed to force that extra guy down closer to the football. You have to be willing to pound the football a little bit. You have to be and be very efficient and hard-headed with it. And then there's there's you guys have heard me say this. There's two ways to take shots or chunks in this league. There's two ways. You either have a freak that wins one-on-one -on -one coverage or you play action them out of it. You play action concept them out of it. Because when teams are sitting there, think about it this way, guys. Uh, like if the ball's on the right hash, right? And I don't care what 
personnel I'm in. But if I have a receiver out to the right into the boundary, and then I have a safety that's into the boundary as well, and then there's you can only have one other guy in the second level pass concept defense-wise there. like Math-wise, you can only have one. That's the guy that I constantly have to try to put in conflict. So I could take that receiver and push him vertical or push him on a post, and then there's got to be somebody that's coming from the other side at behind that linebacker and then something that is in front of that linebacker to put that guy in conflict. And that's that doesn't happen enough because th- that's the way that you get chunks on those defenses. And it's not just dropping back. It's just not. You, you, too many teams do it in the NFL. Buffalo's just not the only guilty one. So um, there, there's, there's a very simplistic way to do it that you can kind of dress up. Um, but that's like one of those just very basic, simple ways to go about doing it. Offensively, the Bills are way, way healthier than they are on the defensive side of the ball. Um, have you? What are your thoughts on you know trying to come into a game where, and it, it it certainly didn't look like this. The the Bengals had the ball for 21 minutes in the first half. Yeah, and the Bills had like 15 plays or maybe even 20 plays total offensively in the first half. How, is there some sort of uh, is there any chance that maybe there's a philosophy saying, listen, we got to play our offense to make sure our defense is not on the field as much as they can, even though the defense is struggling to get off the field. Yeah, I mean, there is. Like, Buffalo was, or excuse me, Cincinnati, I think, was like third in the NFL when it came to time of possession last year. That's kind of who they are identity-wise on offense. You guys asked, Chris, you asked, like, who, what's the identity of the Bills? Like, I could very clearly tell you the identity of the, the Bengals right now because they're healthy, you know? They, right. And so, like, Steve, it's, it's like if you just watch – the way they went about it was like, hey, we're going to run the offense through Jamar. And if Jamar is going to get single coverage, we're throwing it to Jamar. And if Jamar is going to get doubled, which Buffalo doubled him a ton, it was like, hey, throw to T, throw to Tyler. They got people to hurt you opposite that. And it was just this very play zone. It's going to be very efficient. They're going to run their RPOs and they got a little play action. And so um, it, it, it's a beauty with the way that they go about it. Uh, there's something to be said about it. Uh, again, I don't think – I don't walk away from this game going, oh, my gosh, what a bad offensive performance. Like, I have a ton of respect and admiration for how good Cincy's defense is. And if, you know, Josh doesn't force that ball, you know, that they don't get that kind of cheap score. And if Dalton doesn't fumble that, do they get and go get some points? So, I, you know, I feel a little bit better than I, con- I I thought I would from their offensive performance. But, yeah, I think there's a there's a little bit. But, like, it doesn't – you know this. It doesn't just happen. Where she said, "Oh, you know what? We'll become a little bit more efficient, or we become a little bit more ball possession centric." And there's there's a a method to go about it. There's a philosophical way that you go about doing that. Um, and you got to get everybody on the team, player wise, in those roles that are very specific and important to them. Um, and I, I, like, do I think Buffalo can get there to help them? Yes, I don't. I don't think that they showed that last week. Do you think that? Buffalo's offense is too dependent on players to win on their given assignments rather than scheming players open using the playbook and the scheming to help them win. Yes, but I could say that about a lot of teams if I want to be fair to Buffalo. Um, yes, it like there is. I remember when Tom went down to Tampa, I used to always say like, they're, they're so execution based. If everyone executes at a really high level, then they'll play well. 
And I think that's why you see some games, you're like, oh, man, that, yeah, th that's, that's, they were really good. But the other team gets paid. They're going to make it hard on you. And like we, we can't, there's, there's, yes, I want the guys to execute at a certain level. But am I ex asking them if they execute at a 10, is that the only way for success? Like what happens if they're executing at an eight at that play? Can I do something scheme-wise, formation-wise, motion-wise to help that eight become a 10 and result, you know? And so right. I don't know if that's there's enough of that. You you watch teams in the NFL, and like not everyone's the 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 the, the San Francisco 49ers or the Detroit Lions when it comes to some of their unique scheme stuff. Even the Colts do some really cool stuff. But I do watch teams that I think are built somewhat similar to a Buffalo. Like I, I watched Cincinnati get into their four by one RPO a bunch. I don't watch Buffalo do that enough, in my opinion. Like I I don't think I think the world of Jamar Chase. I think Steph's really good. We could put Steph by himself and say, hey, if you're gonna cover him one on one, we're gonna throw him the ball. And if not, we can go some some run action away. We can go a four by one screen opposite. We can go a pass concept and help guys win versus zone or leverage. And so um I watch so so my point is this like I do think that there's more room for growth. And again, I think their offense is okay right now, but it needs to be great. More room for growth when it comes to formations and motions to help those guys execute easier. Yeah. Right. So if you see this as you see this on the horizon, Monday Night Football coming up against the Broncos. Give us a, you know, the Broncos coming off a bye. They beat Kansas City. Uh, they've won two straight after starting one and five. Uh, give us some insights what Russ, you know, Russ Wilson's doing, Sean Payton, what you can expect in this yeah. matchup. Yeah, so Russell's actually playing well. It's just the first five weeks of the year, their defense was historically bad. So Russell's playing good. They're absolutely designing things to push the ball down the field. He's got some players like Jerry Judy's a very good route runner. Um, Sutton, big body. I think they're the pass catching outside of like Jerry Judy, their their best patch at pass catchers are honestly their backs. They're doing a really nice job getting their backs in the pass game, both check downs, um, screens. It's a heavy screen team. You'll see him under center, some play action shots. Uh, so their offense is is doing a nice job. Their interior, their offensive lines running the football better than they had at the start of the year. So um, you know, I, I think like th th this is going to be be a game where they got to cover really good low, you know, and, and be very aware of the shots downfield in their play action game. Russell's doing a really nice job picking his spots with his legs as well, way healthier and better moving than he was last year. And then defensively. I think, you know, a couple of things like they're getting some of their younger pass rushers on the field and, and they're they're starting to rush the passer really well. They're communicating way better on the back end. They're not getting nearly as many blown coverages. Uh, and so they're playing better defensively. Now, their game versus Kansas City was a little bit more of Patrick not playing well than, oh, my gosh, this defense is locked down. Um, so I do think there's going to be throws there for Josh. Um, but it's going to, it's going to have to be like, I tell you, if there's one thing that I think you can get after them, it's, it's field crossers. You can cross the field on this defense successfully. So, um, that's gotta be a part of their game plan. So their defense, would you say it's, it, the numbers are skewed by virtue of their horrible start. They're, they're yes. kind of, 
raised the level of their play maybe to a middle-of-the-pack defense since then. Yes, absolutely. I think part Justin Simmons, they're all kind of pro-safety, came yeah. back. He's healthy. Sertan's playing at a really high level. And again, like they're young. Remember, they got rid of Randy Gregory, so they're young pass rushers. Browning's come on, and he's been really good. Mm-hmm. I think they've simplified their defense just a little bit. Like the, at the beginning of the year, they were just guys running uncovered. You know, they were they were very quiet on defense, very quiet. Now, I would motion the heck out of this defense because teams have done it a little bit less than they were in the beginning of the year. Like when Miami hung a ton on them, um, they were, it was Chicago had success against, there was a ton of motions and they were very quiet. And so you would, you would get guys popped uncovered. Essentially. I would motion them. I'm not talking like moving a guy from across the field. Like I would, I would shift the formation and then motion a guy. I would motion one guy and then bringing, I would change the, the surface level constantly against their defense to force them to talk a ton. I think that's still a place where, you can get after them. When you see a game like this, you know, Sean Payton has always had the reputation of being really an, an aggressive play caller. Um, he's notoriously the surprise onside kick guy in the Super Bowl, um, you know, that kind of thing. Has he shown much of that with Russ Wilson in this offense? Um, yeah, I mean, the first, I think the first play of the season was a surprise onside kick, to be honest with you. Yeah, they're, right. yeah. they're very aggressive. They'll go for it on fourth down. I, I think that they. I don't think they're overly aggressive, Steve. I think, you know, now that Russell's settled in a little bit, this is not – it's 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 funny. Like, the whole conversation around Russell was like, can he get the ball out of his hands? This and that. That's not who he is. Like, Russell wants to throw the ball downfield. He, he's going to want to hold the ball and throw it downfield. Or you'll see six screens this game, all kinds of screens. So, you know, he's, he's going to be aggressive in that regard more so than, um, like – Hey, it's fourth and six from the our own thirty-five yard line. We're going for it. I don't, I don't see that from him. Yeah, Dan, thanks as always. That'll be interesting with that screen game. Bills had trouble defending screens earlier in the season. They're a bit better at it now, but you know Denver's going to test him on that for sure. So I, I think, Tons. I think we're going to see a lot. You know what of that. they do really? You know what they do really quick, Chris? Like the play action pass screen. That's something that Sean's always been good with, and it's become a, a bigger part in the past two or three weeks. That'll you, you, They'll see four or five of them uh, on Monday night. All right. Thanks, Thanks very Dan. much, Appreciate Dan. You, Dan. Appreciate it as always. We'll catch up with you Thanks, next guys. week. All right. That's Dan Orlovsky joining us as he does every Tuesday, brought to you by Ellicott Hotels. Every time I hear him describe an offense utilizing the screen game, I'm like, oh, well, Bills are going to see that yeah. because – the first four or five games of the year, they had a load of trouble defending screens. I think they have improved in that area considerably um, on the defensive side of the ball in stopping that. Cincinnati ran a handful of them. and They did, and, and they didn't have a ton of success. The, the Bills did good rallying to the football, number one. and number right. Well, number one, they did a better job of recognizing it because that was a big problem early in the season. And then number two, they're doing a better job of rallying to the football on that. So hopefully – I don't know that's going to discourage the Broncos from going to it because they do it well. They want to sure. do what they do well. And if, oh, by the way, your opponent struggles in it, even if it was a month ago, you're going to use it. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Right. You're going to use it. Uh, let's get back to the phones, though, at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board. We go to Patrick in Rochester, who's been waiting patiently. What do you got for us, Patrick? Hey, guys, how you doing? Uh, I just got one quick thing, and then I'm going to read something off, and I kind of just want your guys' opinion. Um, the first thing is, is 
I just think it's really crazy what a lot of the Bills fans have been saying the last couple of days because if you ask me, I don't think there's a single team in the AFC where if it came to a single playoff game, you're telling me the defensive coordinator, they're not a little worried about Josh. So I just want to get that out of the way. And then the second thing is uh, Josh Allen is relied upon to carry this offense in it, game in and game out, season in, season out. No consistent run game ever. The play action is bad when there's no run game. Everything falls on Josh consistently to make plays with his feet or his arm. Biggest issue over the years has been that the Bills can't win the rushing battle in games, hardly ever. Um, that game, they ran 17 of 50 yards. Josh was 8 of 44. Like, they need to get him more than what they have now. Like, if you look at the Dolphins, they have two stud receivers. If you look at the Eagles, they have two stud receivers. They're giving their quarterback weapons. And I just think we are possibly wasting our best QB's prime when we, you know, could be doing a little better. But um, that's all I have to say. So all right. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks, I'll, Patrick. I'll respectively, respectfully disagree with you on one point. I think play action works whether you have a run game or not. I mean, it's been proven in the league, both in analytics and in film. Um linebackers have been taught from age eight that when a quarterback goes to hand the ball off, your natural instinct is to get in your gap and fill it so you're ready for the run play. So it it is in their nature. It has been pounded into their head since they're 10 years old to respect the run. So they're going to take a step forward and give you extra space behind them, whether you're a good running team or not. Teams have done it with success. I'd like to see the Bills do it more because uh, I think they could have some more success on a consistent basis if they utilize it. I mean, as for the rushing totals from Sunday night's game, the Bills are down 21-7 at halftime. They had to throw the football, so they weren't going to run it as much, and that's why I think the running backs had a total of eight carries in the game, not counting Josh. Yeah. And there was only, by my count, I think two scripted runs for Josh there were two sneaks on third and short by him. So that's half of the carries that he had. The other four are off-script plays where he's trying to extend the play because the pocket's collapsing and nobody's open. So, you know, that to me, yeah, you want to argue the run game's been a problem? Sure, I'll listen to it. Um, I would like to see them use play action more, so I'm in agreement with you on that, and I don't believe you need to have a good run game to utilize it effectively. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, you can bend the numbers, and, you know, they can always say you can make the stats say whatever you want. Josh Allen had eight rushing attempts uh, in the game. Uh, I can't remember. Like, like there were some sneaks in there. Two on third and short. Right. So they had the scripted run on the first drive. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think there was one other he scripted ran for, run. Yeah, right. So there's those scripted runs. Joe Burrow carried the ball five times uh, in the game, but he only had four yards doing it. And none of um, it was scripted. There was, a third, than, there was a short yardage by him that he, that he did a sneak on, too. Yeah. Other than that, you think about it, this is a game where the Bengals were up 21-7 at halftime, and they ran the ball a total of 17 times other than when Burrow scrambled for only four yards in total. Yeah, they didn't run the ball well either. They ran the ball 17 times when they were up by two scores. Didn't they average two and a half yards a carry, I think? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I mean, they didn't run the ball well either. So, um, you know, and the Bills ran it 14 times outside of – well, no, that's not right. They ran it eight times outside of the Josh Allen runs. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Um, Only eight. It's just a throwing league. Um, And I go – you can say what you want about whether it's wise or not. 
you know, you're just not going to run the ball 25 times a game. If you run the ball 25 times a game, it's because you're up like four scores. And you just hand it, you don't care about moving the ball or whatever. You're right, you got your backup offensive lineman in, you got your backup quarterback in, and all that. That's when you run the ball like that. Um, that's kind of the point in history we're at with the league. And I, everybody wants to see him hand the ball off and plow for a six and a half yard, seven yard gain every time they do it. It's just not going to happen. So the best you can hope for is to have a running game that's relevant and a play action game that's effective. Yeah, that's it. Let's go back to the phones and to Tony on a cell. What do you got for us, Tony? Hey, good afternoon, guys. How are you today? Doing all right. Got a couple things for you. I want to start with the Cincinnati game. You know what I think the real difference was? It's T. Higgins. He made a huge – he killed us all night. And you know what? Our second guy, Gabriel Davis or even Dalton Kincaid, neither one of them, unfortunately, came, you know, could go stride for stride with what he did. Well, he had eight for one ten, and Dalton Kincaid had ten for one hundred one. So I don't, I don't understand. Ten for eighty one. Ten for eighty one. Oh, sorry. It seems like that at the opportune times of the game, right? Like you know, those yards that he did get were just so important and back breaking at those moments. Mm -hmm. You know that that, uh, as on paper you don't see that. Yeah. So you're talking about like the gotta have it downs. I want to. I want to get to the second point because I think it's most important, and okay. I think it's good. Uh, yeah. Mostly Gates at Steve Tasker, but for the both of you, I'm going to go back to the 1996 season. Steve, you know Jim Kelly's last year. Tom Bresnahan's a coordinator. People here are up in arms because we want to run the no huddle the way the no huddle was supposed to be run, and Bresnahan kept trying to slow it down. He even had this two back philosophy that he was trying to drop on the team. And for a few games there during the middle of that year, we cut it loose, and it was like the old days. And then that Jacksonville game, the last playoff game, there was a series, and I think the beginning of the third quarter, where, you know, they went with the two back, and I think that possession cost us the game that game back then. And if we can learn from history, let's learn from history, right? We need to run the no huddle fast. I didn't like Ken Dorsey's comments yesterday. I, I, I didn't it, 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 like it. Kind of rubbed me the wrong way because if you don't want to look at Buffalo Bills film on how to run the no huddle full speed, let's talk about the Indianapolis Colts for a minute because they did a pretty good job of running no huddle themselves. Now, mind you, Ted Marchabrota was there as the radio commentator back in those days, but I'm sure he popped his head in the locker room and said, "Yeah, this is kind of how it really goes, Peyton." You know, you look at the personnel, we have Marvin Harrison, Diggs. Reggie Wayne could be Gabriel Davis. Dalton Kincaid could be Dallas Clark. Okay, you know, they had Joseph Adai, who was not quite as good as Thurman, but he was very much like Thurman. Or if you want to say Adrian James, but I, I still, they won the Super Bowl with Joseph Adai, so let's stick to that. And, you know, Bill Polian built that team in the same eyes that he built the teams you were on, Steve. And I know that this offense doesn't work, but you've got to run it the right way. We have the personnel, but let's stop being so damn stubborn and let's just cut it loose. And that's what I got. Thanks. Have a good day. All right, Tony. Okay, Tony. What do you got? You were there in 96, so. He he remembers more about it than I do. (laughs) 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 I... 
I thought I, I I couldn't have told I didn't know I I I couldn't have told you Tom Bresnahan was the coordinator. I thought it was uh, Jim Schaffner. Um, I don't know. Yeah, and the Edger and James stuff, and the <laughs> Joseph Adai stuff, and the yeah, and the the Indian, Indianapolis Colts stuff. Um, yeah, the the Indianapolis Colts did not run the no huddle like the Bills did. They didn't hurry it up. They just got to the line of scrimmage, and Peyton Manning ran the whole offense from there. It wasn't necessarily a hurry-up offense. It was a, let's get to the line of scrimmage, I'm going to decipher your defense, and then I'm going to call the perfect play. That's very different than the way Jim ran it. Jim Kelly and, and Teddy Marchabroda ran it. So, But kudos to you, Tony, for remembering all that stuff from 20, no, is it 27? Yeah, 27 years ago. That's uh, You got uh, me. As for what Ken Dorsey said about using more no huddle, you know, why are you not getting up-tempo earlier when most players say they function better in it? He essentially said the following. This is a direct quote. We definitely started off in it this past game. It was something that we utilized, and it was effective for us. I think at times there, the crowd noise became a factor with the communication in some of those backed-up situations because Josh has to communicate a lot with everybody on the field. So you need some specific things in those situations to make sure you're protecting yourself so you don't create a negative play. And now either you're in the end zone or even in more of a situation where you can't function with a full field. So I think those were some of the factors for us. And then he also said, utilizing it maybe a little bit more of a sugar huddle than a true no huddle at times last week, which is what we saw. But I think it's definitely something that we want to continue to utilize. We just have to make sure we're effective when we do and we can stay on the field and continue to do that. So we're going to make sure we're doing it in a smart, efficient, effective way and utilize it when we can. So it sounds like place on the field, time and score, and home or road will have an impact on how often they use, whether you want to call it sugar huddle or true no huddle, is used going forward. Yeah, that, and I'll say this, and I, I don't really – we talk about it all the time. You know, people bring up the 90s and those, those teams that, you know, we never won a Super Bowl. Um, we were close. But, you know, they bring it up all the time. And the difference between what people think of as the no huddle and what happened in the 90s was about two things. It was they – that team went very, very fast. It was like a hurry-up – no huddle offense. It was fast. They snapped the ball, ran to the line of scrimmage, called a play on the way to the line of scrimmage, and snapped it as soon as they were set. And it all sounds great, and it sounds hard, you know hard to defend. Like wait, we got to line up and, and and all of that. It was hard to defend. the The key to it was wasn't the speed; it was the result. The result was first downs. And I remember, and I've, I've ta- we've talked about this a, a zillion times, and I, I hope people are, aren't rolling their eyes at an old man. I remember Kent Hull saying it, Will Wolford saying it, Howard Ballard and John Davis and Glenn Parker and those guys up front, John Fina in the day, all these guys up front would say, man, if we get four plays into that no huddle going fast like that, there is no pass rush. They're beat. They're winded. And all we do is ho- we can kind of hold them up to keep them from falling over. Yeah, the pass rush is evaporated. But on those given times when you don't make a first down, and you go incompletion, incompletion, 
and you're and you know you do that one or two series in a row, all of a sudden you you're not you're digging yourself a hole by doing that offense. So there is a risk. So when you run that no huddle, if you're going to do it like like you know those finger quote old days, you go. It's not just about going and they go up and step. I they go fast, and I mean fast. And there was only one one immediate goal: stay on the field. Everything else takes care of itself. As you get further and further into it, it gets easier and easier and easier as you maintain it. But you've got to stay on the field. And that is conversely exactly the reason why it's so risky to run. You may get off the field in a big, fat hurry. And then the only people that are tired are your guys. So your defense I'm talking about. Right. So, yeah, this no huddle thing and this this, uh, conversation we seem to have at some point every year about running this fast-paced no-huddle offense, um, it's, the same, it's the same thing. If you're going to go, you've got to go like 100%. And, and it's, the, it's just that, it's that quintessential gambler's mentality. If you're going to go all-in, <laughs> it's an, a risk. It's an all-in risk. It's all or nothing. Yeah. And that's why coaches are hesitant, hesitant to do it. Fully. Fully do it. Start to Because it's not just going no huddle and using up the play clock. And it it's, doesn't sound like these guys are going to use it unless it's an effective time at the right part of, at the right location on the field, sometimes yeah. with crowd noise being They're, a factor yeah, They'll on the mitigate road. that risk by being out in field position. So even if they do, they'll punt it away, and they're not going to punt it out of their own end and give them the ball yeah. at the 40. They're going to give them the ball inside the 20. That mitigates the risk of coming off the field quick. Yeah. At least you give them the long way to go. But the time of possession is still a factor. We got to take a break here, but more of your phone calls when we return at 803 0550 2550 when we get back here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. The Buffalo Bills and Ad Pro Sports are teaming up to award varsity head football coaches with the Coach of the Week Award. Week 10 winners in the Buffalo Region Section 6. It's Medina High School's Eric Valley after leading the Mustangs to the Section 6 title for the third time in the last four seasons. Medina beat Southwestern 21-0 in the Class C semifinals to improve to a perfect 10-0 on the season. In Section 5, the Rochester Region Coach of the Week is University Preparatory Charter for Young Men's Isaiah Young. Young and U Prep defeated Hilton High School in the Class AA semifinal 22-14 over this past weekend. Each Coach of the Week winner will receive a $1,000 grant from the Buffalo Bills and Ad Pro Sports. Back to the phones and to Mark in West Seneca. What do you got for us, Mark? Chris, Steve, hope things are well. Yeah, Yeah, we're hanging in there. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, I'm calling because of, I just listened to Dan Orlowski, who I respect his opinions immensely, uh, obviously a brilliant football mind. Uh, a couple things he said that, as a Bills fan, concerned me. Uh, first, that the Bills don't seem to have a schematic identity. Uh, I, he also said that they seem to tend to run their offense based on players winning on their skills as opposed to helping them schematically and putting them over on top for even a better performance than what they're maybe possibly do on any even even, uh, one given play, and that there doesn't seem enough diversity in their formations. 
Now, these are all things, as a Bills fan, that I've heard other Bills fans complain about, have concerns about, and, and myself. And as regular fans, we can see this. Uh, I, I, I'm just wondering where we go. Now, I'm not proposing or professing firing Ken Dorsey in season. I think that you don't do that. You just don't do that. But if this offense, if he can't get this offense moving and, and can't get us out of these doldrums and start changing some of these issues as the season goes on, they're going to have to look hard at where they're going next season. And one last comment about uh, Dorsey. Uh, about two, three weeks ago, there was a lot of talk about Josh under center. And I heard a reporter ask him a question in this press conference. You, he seems to be doing really well under that. Is that something that you might do predominantly in any one game based on the fact that it's working really well? His answer, and I'm paraphrasing, was, well, we would consider using it more, but we like to come back to uh, the shotgun because we want balance. Which sort of just took me back a little bit thinking, in any given game, if something's working, aren't you going to run that until they stop it because you're right. trying to win the game? I, I, so, on your last point, Mark, I will say you have to take some of their comments with a grain of salt. They know other teams are listening, and so you try, and I've seen Buffalo's coordinators do this under Coach McDermott, and I totally understand why. It's a competitive advantage issue. And I think if he says, oh, yeah, we want to use as much of that as we can, I think he feels he's tipping his hand to opponents who are undoubtedly listening. And so sometimes some of the th- some of the not all some of the things they say, you got to take with a grain of salt and realize that they know their comments are public. They're out there. They're on team websites readily available for anybody to listen to. And so they have to couch their comments sometimes. So just be careful with that aspect of it. Everything else you said, I agree 100%, which is why I asked Dan Orlovsky the questions that I did last segment, because I know those are the concerns of Bill's fans. So I tried to ask questions that they're asking us on Mondays. I asked him of Dan on Tuesdays because I know he watches the tape. And he gave you the answers that he did. Yeah, So and you're right. I, there's uh, Because we've seen this before, last half of last year and, and through – and though Brian and I would attribute it to much more than just, you know, the players in the field and the offensive coordinator, all the stuff that was going on the last month and a half of the season, uh, and particularly the last month of the season, um, there was this thing where the, the offense kind of stagnated. And after, you know, that three-week stretch this season between weeks two, three, and four, and weeks two, three, and four, when they were scoring 38, 37, and 48 points, you know, it seemed like, okay, here we go. And then it kind of it kind of lulled there, and now they've been going win loss, win loss, win loss. You know, that's the kind of lull or lack of consistency that kind of leads us to think it was like last year, where maybe it wasn't all the stuff that was going on off the field and around the team outside the lines that was causing the problems. Maybe it was something more internal and more schematic. So, don't know if it's true or not, but it certainly it it's got to pop up in the conversation because we're kind of sitting here in this win-loss, win-loss, win-loss stretch of the season, and you feel like something is just not clicking. Yeah. And it doesn't seem complicated. No. So hopefully they find the answer sooner rather than later. Got a break here. When we come back, there is quarterback news. Carson Wentz has landed somewhere. We'll tell you where when we come back. And what happens if the Patriots lose in Germany this week? Could it be the end of the Belichick era? There's a reporter in Boston who thinks it could 
happen. More on that when we return as well here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All right, so some around the NFL tidbits here at the end of the show. ESPN's Adam Schefter is reporting that Carson Wentz is going to sign with the L.A. Rams, which may speak more to the nature of Matthew Stafford's thumb injury on his throwing hand than anything else going forward. The more interesting news, Steve, comes from the Boston Globe. Patriots owner Robert Kraft could move on from coach Bill Belichick if they lose in Germany to the Colts, according to the Boston Globe. From the report, quote, Based on my conversations, I don't think it's 100% that Belichick finishes out this season. If Belichick comes home from Germany with a 2-8 and record, I think there's a chance the Crafts could make the move in the bye week and install Gerard Mayo, the de facto defensive coordinator, as the interim coach for the final seven games. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, Did you ever think you nope. would see the day where Bill Belichick would no longer be the coach of the Patriots, not by his own own choice. choice. I did not. I did not. I never thought it would come to a point where Robert Kraft would make that choice. And he still hasn't. He may not. He hasn't, and he may not. This may be not true. But I never thought that would happen. Their relationship goes to go back too far. They've had too much success. And I thought it would be a place where Bill Belichick would end it on his own terms. But great players used to think this. Coaches think this. You, I deserve to go out on my own terms. That's true, but you got to take the choice. Pick you the right leave. time, buddy. You got to leave. Got to leave at the right time because some of these guys say, oh, "I want to go out on my own choice," but they never leave. They, yeah. They're never going to leave, and so it never seems to be the right choice. And all good things must at. come to an end, as they say. It may be coming to an end yeah, sooner than maybe. Belichick would prefer. I, yeah, we'll see. I'll We're believe back. it when I see it. Yeah. We're back tomorrow. And we'll have you all filled in as we turn the page to the Broncos for Monday Night Football next week. We'll see you at one.